Well, we are going to pick up our study in the Gospel of Mark. So please look there with me and we'll pick up where we left. In verses 21 through 28. Please follow along with me as I read, or listen as I read uh, the word of the Lord here to us. Mark chapter 1, beginning in verse 21. And they went into Capernaum, and immediately on on the Sabbath, he entered the synagogue and was teaching. And they were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one who had authority, and not as the scribes. And immediately there was in uh, their synagogue a, a man with an unclean spirit, And he cried out, What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be silent and come out of him. And the unclean spirit, convulsing him and crying out with a loud voice, came out of him. And they were all amazed so that they questioned among themselves, saying, What is this? A new teaching with authority. He commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey him. And at once his fame spread everywhere throughout all the surrounding region of Galilee. Let's pray. Jesus, we need you. We need you every day. And so help us to see you as you truly are in all of your power and all of your authority. And we pray that your authority that we have just read of would bring comfort uh, to those of us here that truly need it. We pray for the preaching of your word that I would not preach anything of of my own, of my own invention or anything like that, but only uh, that I would be faithful to the text. Because we see, Lord, in our our text here that you are the preacher that we really need to hear. Uh, You are the teacher who feeds our souls. So help us now as we consider your word this morning. And Jesus, we pray this in your mighty name, our teacher, our shepherd, our savior, our friend. Amen. Well, think back with me a few weeks ago to the very beginning of this series. To the beginning of Mark, and you can look up there uh, at the, the beginning of the chapter, how Mark starts this gospel message. He begins by talking about John the Baptist. He introduces John to us. And John, we're told, has a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And he did this because he was preparing the way. He was preparing the way for the Lord. He was clearing the road for Jesus. You can picture the presidential uh, motorcade as it goes down the street. It's always led by uh, and flanked by a group of police officers. All right, the officer, he's preparing the way. He's clearing the road. He has the lights blaring, the lights flashing. But that's not for him. It's for the person after him. He's preparing the way for the one who's the, the star of the show, the president, This is what John is doing. He's preparing the way for Jesus. And remember how John describes this one who's coming after. There is one coming after me who is mightier than I. That word mighty 
That's who this one is. He, he's mighty. He has power. He has authority. We talked about how that word and that, that concept is going to show up all throughout Mark, and it is. And here we, we see a picture of Jesus' might on display, his, his power. He shows us his, his might and his authority, and he does so in two different ways. One way in which we, we kind of expect. He, he, he has this, this power over the, the spiritual world. He has power over these unclean spirits. That makes perfect sense. But he also shows off his power in another way. He shows it to us in his preaching and in his teaching. He teaches as one with authority. And the people are amazed because of that. So what does that mean? And and why is Mark telling us all of this? That's what we want to consider this morning. Mark tells us that Jesus has authority both in his power and in his preaching so that we might believe in Jesus' authority and that that would bring comfort to us. That's what Mark wants us to see. He wants us to see that Jesus has ultimate authority and he proves it through his power to deliver this man from this unclean spirit and through his preaching, through his teaching that strikes to the heart of his hearers. And all of this, we can say, is the reassuring authority of Christ. Christ has all authority. And because that's true, we have assurance. We have comfort. We have peace of mind. We're assured in our faith, knowing that everything is going to work out for God's people. Because Christ is for us. That is the beauty of this passage. And Jesus' power and in his preaching, we know that there's nothing outside of us. There's nothing in the world that can affect us. And we also know that there's nothing inside of us that can condemn us, that can separate us from the love of Christ. So I want to think of these two realities that, that come right out of our text. These are the two things. And first, we'll consider Jesus' authority in his preaching. And then second, his authority in his, his power. Those are the two things. So the first thing is Christ's authority in his preaching and in his teaching. So look back at verses 21 and 22. I'm going to read these for us again. So he had called his disciples and now uh, they went into Capernaum. And immediately, there's our word again, immediately on the Sabbath he entered the synagogue and was teaching. And they were astonished at his teaching, for he taught as one who had authority and not as the scribes. So right away, immediately, Jesus begins his ministry and his mission. And remember the the summary of his ministry. He says, the time has come, the kingdom of God is at hand, so repent and believe the gospel. That's the summary of his his ministry. And now he's, he's going and he's He's teaching and he's preaching this this ministry. We actually don't know the exact words he said in the synagogue on that day. But we do know the effect. So he he enters the synagogue and he's he's preaching here this message uh, in the synagogue. A fun biblical word that just means the, the place of assembly. 
this is the congregation of the, the Jewish people. And, and so Jesus would have been invited uh, to come and to, to teach on that, on that day at their church service, so to speak. And so he came and he was teaching and preaching to the group there, but they noticed there was something different about this, this man. There was something special about how he taught. And what, what, what was special about it? Verse 22 tells us, again, we don't have the content. We don't know what the words were that he said, but that's actually by design because we know what the, the effect of it was what the result of it was. He was teaching as one who has authority, not as the scribes. He spoke with, with authority. Jesus actually believed what he was speaking. He knew what he believed and why he believed it. And he believed that other people needed to hear the message as well. So he spoke with conviction. He spoke with power. And the people gathered there could tell the difference. He did not teach like they were used to hearing from the scribes. This was the group of people who were the leading experts in God's word. They were the authorities. They were the Bible experts. They were the final authority on what the Bible said and what it taught. So notice the great irony of this situation. Here we have the Bible authorities, but they do not teach with authority. They have the truth, so to speak. They're proclaiming what Scripture says, but they're not doing so in a way that's persuasive, with any conviction. They didn't truly believe that what they had to say mattered for the lives of their people. They had this vast head knowledge, but they had not themselves made it heart knowledge, and they therefore could not bring anyone else to that kind of heart knowledge themselves. But Jesus, on the other hand, he had something to say. I love how uh, Ferguson, he describes this situation at the synagogue that day. He says, some of these people had been listening to such lackluster teaching for years. In all likelihood, they did not realize that they were being spiritually starved. No one had been disturbed in that synagogue for a long, long time. But suddenly, everything was different when Jesus arrived. They knew now that something had been missing. See, something had been missing in that synagogue. And it was authority. It was conviction that God's word has something to say. And that it has something to say to me. When Jesus arrives in the synagogue, he has something to say. And his people, the people there, are astonished. That's the reaction. They're astonished by his teaching. That they were, they were amazed to the point of, of unbelief, of being overwhelmed. That's, that's the, what, we, what we get from that word, that picture. Almost startling. Now, I know if we were to ask you uh, what you think of the service, you would say, oh, astonishing, right? That would be your response. 
We don't normally think of, of church services in that way. But this was the power of Christ's preaching because he was preaching to the heart. They were amazed. They were astonished. How is that possible? How can someone's teaching, how can someone's preaching create that kind of reaction? It's only possible when the Word of God is used the way that the Word of God describes itself. So how does the Word of God describe? How does it describe itself? Scripture tells us in Hebrews, for the Word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. That's how teaching, that's how preaching can be astonishing. And that's what Jesus did in the synagogue that day. He took the word and he pierced the hearts of his hearers. And they stood in amazement because they knew that all the thoughts and intentions of their heart had just been laid bare before God. And this is what true preaching does. This is the lofty goal. We see this in all the other sermons in Scripture. We see this in Peter's sermon when he preaches on the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2. He preaches and he rightly divides God's word and he pierces and cuts to the heart of the people there that day. And Scripture tells us they were cut to the heart and they cried out, well, what, what are we to do? And isn't it interesting, Peter's words were similar to what Jesus said when he came onto the scene. Here's what you are to do. Repent and believe in the gospel and be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins. See, it was God's word that pierced the people on the day of Pentecost. It was God's word that pierced the hearts of the people in the synagogue on that day. And this is why This is why we have such an emphasis on the expositional preaching of God's Word, a fancy word that just means we preach through Scripture. Verse by verse, we go through it. And we do that because we're all imperfect, and I'm an imperfect preacher. And it's not my words that carry any weight, but it's God's Word that does the work. God's Word being fulfilled in the person and work of Christ That is what carries the authority to change lives. And that's why we preach Christ. We preach imperfect sermons about a perfect Savior. That's what we do. He alone can change your life. He alone is the bread of life, the spring of living water. He can comfort the troubled soul. And He is offered to you in the gospel. And He has offered to you right here. And He bids you to come and see for yourself if He is not everything that He promises that He is in His Word. He is a preacher. He's a teacher. He's a minister. He can tend to the weary soul. He and He alone. And so come to Him.
That's the first thing we see in this passage. It's like Christ, he has authority in his preaching and in his teaching. He preaches the very words that we need to hear. Like a master physician who can always perceive the right diagnosis. That's what Christ does for your soul. And he gives us his word, which is the remedy that we need. That's the first thing. His authority in preaching. Now let's look at the the second thing we see from this passage. And that's the authority in his power. Okay, so remember how we talked about mightiness earlier. This was John's message. There's one coming after me who is mightier than I. Those are John the Baptist's words. He's mightier. And now in this passage we have the word authority. So we have these two words, might and authority. They both have to do with power, but they are slightly different. And these differences bring about a lot of comfort. So it's worth our time to consider the differences here. Might, that refers to raw power. That refers to the the fortitude, the strength that Christ has. He's able to withstand. He's able to to fight back against uh, sin and temptation like he does in the wilderness. On the other hand, authority also has to do with power, but it's a power that one has by virtue of his office. It's the power that a boss has over an an employee. It's the the power that parents have over uh, their children. Where kids, you have to listen to your parents. That's just how it goes. You have to clean your room. You have to brush your teeth. You have to do all these things. Why? Because your parents have that authority over you for your good. So why is this distinction so important? And it's because at times we can come to a passage like this talking about Christ's authority, but we can be thinking about power in terms of might. We can be thinking that these confrontations that Christ has with the forces of evil and the forces of darkness, like like a comic book movie or like some kind of a story or fantasy tale where there is this struggle between good and evil, and certainly this is a struggle between good and evil. But we can think of it in terms of our favorite movies or our favorite stories where there is a tension and a a doubt where we don't know who's going to come out on top. Kids, you can think of your favorite superhero. Think of whatever your favorite superhero is. And I've always, I'm just the classic, I just always love Superman. Superman and Batman. Even Superman, though, has his weakness. What is Superman's weakness? It's kryptonite, yeah. You guys got it. Batman always carries some kryptonite in his utility belt just in case he needs to go after Superman. Every good superhero has a good supervillain matched with them. And the best supervillains are those that match up perfectly. Batman and the Joker. Superman, Lex Luthor. Whoever it is. And we love those stories. They're so entertaining. They're so exciting. We don't know if the good guy's going to come out on top and then bear 
barely, by the, by the skin of his teeth, he pulls through and he wins. Those are wonderful stories. But we need to realize that that is not what's happening here. There is no, will he come out on top? There is none of that. This isn't even uh, David and Goliath kind of story. I, obviously, I love that story, but uh, so often it's used in, in uh, a lot of times talking about sports, where you have the underdog team. It's a David and Goliath. They're going up, this unranked team going up against the top seed. And it's David versus Goliath. Well, who is the underdog, really, in that story? It's not David. David's not the underdog in that story. Why is he not the underdog in that story? Because the Lord is fighting. The Lord is on David's side. Goliath is the one that had no chance. And that is what we see here. Christ comes face to face with the demon, with the unclean spirit, with the forces of Satan himself. He does not approach this conflict as equals on equal footing. It's not even a conflict of an underdog versus a greater. There is no contest. He is not only mightier than them in power, but he has complete authority over all things. He has complete authority over all the forces of evil, all the forces of darkness. He is of completely different rank, completely different class. He is of a completely different being than all of these forces of evil. It's absolute authority in every way. So there is no fighting back. And that's why the demon, all he can do is cry out what's absolutely true. I know who you are. You are the Holy One of God. He knows exactly how this situation is going to go. All the forces of darkness, all the unseen world, all the spiritual powers that exist, they all submit fully to Christ's authority. And so if that's true, how much more then do all the things in the seen world, all of our own problems and struggles and pains... Uh, difficulties at school, at work, all of these things, how much more than are all those nations, kings, governments? They're all under Christ's authority as well. But you see, Christian, you see, Satan might not be able to steal your soul. If you're in Christ, he certainly cannot do that. But he would rob you of some of the joy and assurance that you rightfully have in this life. He would lie to you and say that it is a power struggle, and say that maybe Christ isn't as mighty as he claims to be. But make no mistake, that demon knew exactly how strong Christ was. And so in this passage, we get this picture of his power, might, and authority all wrapped into one, and it's to bring us comfort because we know who fights for us so this unclean spirit in our story he knows exactly how strong christ is 
he knew he was in danger. He, he, he asked, have you come to destroy us? He knew. He knows. Jesus commands and they obey. And that's exactly what happens. He commands the demon to be quiet. That word means to muzzle. Zip your lips. Muzzling a dog so it can't bark anymore. That's what he commands. And then he commands him to come out of the man. And so this unclean spirit, very talkative before, he never talks again. All he can do is leave. And he leaves with, with a muzzled shriek as he convulses and leaves the man. That's all he can do. And now, this man is free. Because Christ has all authority. I love how Kent Hughes, he, he summarizes this passage for us and uh, the meaning of it. And I, I love it. And I'll read this for us. He says that what we learn from Christ's action is that His gospel of love and power is for all, even the least and the worst of us. See, His point is, even this man with an unclean spirit, there's nothing that any of those people were to do. We have no, no idea just how long this, this man had been plagued by the Spirit and how many Sabbath days this congregation had gathered while the Spirit remained among them. What hope could this man have? Kent Hughes says, even to the least and the worst of us. And he continues, do you think yourself least likely? Well, know this. Jesus rejoices to change your life with a word. And he will if you come to him. I love that. That's the gospel call. Jesus loves, he rejoices in changing your life if you come to him. It's hard to think of a worse situation to be in than for this poor fellow. It's hard to think of a a more uh, difficult situation. But you know what? Christ, he came, he spoke authoritatively into his life, And on that day, he was restored. He was made whole. And a new life is now ahead of him in Christ. And this is the good news that's extended to each and every one of you. If you would put your faith and your trust in this man, this Jesus of Nazareth, who commands even the spirits and they obey him. This Jesus who though he has ultimate power and authority, he humbled himself, who took on pain and torment, who bore our own sins in our place, took our place on the cross, died the death that we deserved to die, and then was raised in power on the third day. That is this Jesus who is presented to you. He offers to each and every one eternal life. He offers to His people the forgiveness of sins, peace and comfort and joy. There is hope, and there is that specific hope, the hope of the gospel. That's for everybody here because Christ has authority.
And so we see in this passage that Christ, he's demonstrated his authority both in his power and in his preaching. And this together brings us great comfort. In his power, he demonstrates that he has absolute authority over all things. What's the name of our church? It's Christ the King. Well, he's not just any king. He's the King of kings. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to him. And so as king, he exercises that ultimate authority in our lives. And we know then that not only does he bring us to himself, but he protects us. And we see how he's able to because he has all authority. He rules and defends over us. He conquers all his enemies, all our enemies, sin and death being the last enemy that he destroys. This passage shows us the authority of his power. It also shows us the authority in his preaching. And in his preaching, in his teaching, he demonstrates to us that he knows exactly what we need. And he knows how to address them. He knows how to preach and how to minister to his people and to their hearts. The best of human preachers on our best days, all we can do is preach Christ. And our only hope to preach to your hearts is to preach the Christ who knows your heart and has given himself up for you. That's what Christ has done. And we need both of those things. We need the, the, the authority of his power and the authority of his preaching. And thankfully, Christ supplies both of those things in overabundance to us. He is able. He is powerful. He protects us from everything in the world, from all evil and darkness. So everything outside of us we're protected from. And he preaches and he teaches and he ministers to our hearts. Everything inside of us that would condemn us that would rob us of our joy, of our assurance in Him, He touches those areas of our lives as well. There's nothing that can separate us from Christ our Lord. That is the reassuring authority of Christ. Let's pray. Jesus, we need You today. And so would You minister to our hearts with Your Word And reassure us of your authority and might. Help us to rest confident because we know that you are for us. And if you are for us, who can be against us? In your mighty, powerful name we pray. Amen.